Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with SpeedwayMedia.com's John Hartle. We're bringing you another great episode of Talking in Circles. This weekend, we will review the regular season. We'll review Richmond, which was the Federated Auto Parts 400 at the Richmond International Raceway. It was Denny Hamlin's 29th career victory and the third of his 2016 season, Hamlin winning in his home state. We'll discuss the controversial finish between Tony, the controversial wreck between Tony Stewart and Ryan Newman, uh, the controversial wreck between Matt Kenseth and Brad Keselowski. We'll give our chase brackets. Who do we have as our champion? We'll discuss the new news this afternoon about the crew chief change between in the number 43 team. Trent Owens out. Drew Blickens there for in. And we'll preview the Chicago Land Speedway race, race one of the Chase for the NASCAR Sprint Cup. But first, we start with the Federated All Parts 400 at Richmond International Raceway. Like I said, it was Hamlin winning uh, a race that was again dominated by JGR. They led a lot of or JGR cars, we should say. It was really a race that was led a lot by Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. Truex finished in the third spot. But uh, Denny Hamlin was able to salvage a day, which had 16 cautions, a lot of caution flags, a long race, and win his 29th career victory here at Richmond. John Harlow, what are your thoughts on the Federated Auto Parts 400? I thought it was a good race. I mean, everybody got cranking into each other toward the end there. But, I mean, I think Goodyear brought a good tire. The package worked well. They were in all grooves. There was passing throughout the thing. Yes, there was dominance by Hamlin and Truex, but... I, they've done that all year long. I mean, Truex has been up front. Ham, I mean, the Toyota's been running great all year long, and it just doesn't seem like anybody really has anything for him. I think Harvick had a great run. He just had a really bad qualifying run where he was far enough back in the field. It took him a while to get up front. But he was consistently in the top five. There was some moving around throughout the day. There was passing. It was a good race. I always... Of all the tracks, Richmond's my favorite one to watch a race at, so I'm kind of biased for it because it just seems like it has enough banking where you can pass high, you can run low. It's a good track for racing. It provides the opportunity for side-by-side racing, side-by-side battles. It turned out to be a pretty good race. With all the cautions, it provide a lot of restarts, and restarts breed more restarts because everybody's trying to get what they can with new tires. And it turned into a nice strategy race toward the end where everybody was trying to figure out when to put their last set of sticker tires on. Yeah, and there was a lot of people who kind of thought it reminded them of an Xfinity Series race where we see the tire limit uh, going out there in the Xfinity Series where, you know, other teams are only doing a certain amount of tires, and it seemed like in the Sprint Cup Series, is an unlimited amount of tires. But as we saw this weekend, you know, there wasn't. It's not an unlimited supply. Obviously, Goodyear can only make so many tires. Um, and I think they went through 12 cents, believe it or not. It was just a lot a lot of attrition, you know, a lot of wrecks. Um, and, and for whatever reason, you know, people, people trying to get everything they possibly can, whether or not they came down on somebody, um, you know, there was a lot of wrecks. But at the end of the day, you know, it was another race. It was another weekend dominated by Joe Gibbs racing cars. Uh, we even saw a practice session where, you know, all five Joe Gibbs racing cars um, led all, all the practice sessions. It was a it was a big weekend for them. Uh, do you see that changing John Harlow in the chase at all? Do you think, you know, Hendrick might be holding something back? Even Penske might be holding something back here 
or do you think it's just going to be our Joe Gibbs Racing teams something to watch here as we go forward in 2016? Well, we'd better hope somebody was holding something back, or it's going to be between the four Gibbs cars and Furniture Row at the end with a chance of Harvick getting in there because nobody else has really showed that they have the dominance. I mean, Keselowski has four wins, but he hasn't shown any dominance throughout the year. I mean, he's either been all or mid-pack. He hasn't really been a front-runner the whole season. Um, I think the Stuart Haas cars, some of them have been holding it back. I mean, whenever they talked to Mike Bogoravich before the Darlington race, he said they brought Stewart's best car out to Darlington because Stewart wanted to win. They wanted Stewart to get his 50th win at one of the tracks he never won at. But they said they hadn't been bringing out their best stuff. So Harvick might have something sitting there waiting to go. Uh, Kurt Busch might have something there waiting for waiting to go. Jimmy Johnson. And it's so weird to not think of Jimmy Johnson in the chase as a favorite. Even after, I mean, last year the one part that broke was a $2 part, and it cost him the chance to get in to the next round. They went out at Dover. But it's hard to believe you're talking about the chase for the championship, and it still seems like Chad Knauss, Jimmy Johnson, and Hendrick Motorsports are out to lunch. And mm. it's so weird that the three Stuart Haas cars – are all together doing well. They're outperforming the Hendrick cars with Hendrick equipment. It's so weird to see right. that. I mean, it, it was the same thing last year when you looked at Furniture Row Racing. They outperformed Richard Childress Racing with their own stuff. At least with them getting the technical alliance with Gibbs this year, they're equal to you. They're not blowing their um, technical partner out of the water. You're right on that. 917-889-8280 here if you want to join the conversation on Talking in Circles tonight. Talk about anything you want to talk about. But, well, I agree with you on a couple of things. you got to remember Hendrick Motorsports, too. They only have two cars in the chase this year because of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s injury and Casey Kane's struggles. They only got Chase Elliott, who didn't win a race at all this year, and Jimmy Johnson in the chase, who won two races but very early. He hasn't won a race since California way back then in, in, in March. So it's been, a, it's been a struggle for Hendrick Motorsports. They haven't found that winning formula in a long, long time. And I think this is the, you mentioned about Jimmy Johnson not being a favorite. I think this is the weakest Hendrick Motorsports has come into the chase really since Jimmy's been there, that I can remember at least. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably why he's not a favorite. But I think a guy who I'm looking at is a guy who can really do some damage. And that's Martin Truex Jr. I heard a lot of people this weekend talking about how dominant that team has been. Even Kyle Busch, you know, Kyle Busch made a vocal. He wasn't very happy with how his car performed this weekend at Richmond International Raceway. He thought the rear end of the car didn't quite grip the track the way he wanted it to. And he said, hey, listen, we kind of just got beat. And he said, it's amazing that that 78 team every week comes out here and completely is one of the fastest three cars every week. And it has been. It's been, it's been that way all year. And Truex has had a lot of bad luck most of this season. Uh, they're basically a solo car operation, but they've done an outstanding job. Cole Pern deserves a lot of credit. You know, he kind of flies under the radar, doesn't go out and make a lot of crazy comments, uh, kind of flies under the radar and tricks as well. But that team is really performing. It was interesting to hear Kyle Busch and Joe Racing almost saying, like, they've got to catch the 78 team, a team who they give their chassis and engines to, because this was a similar situation with that team last year when they were at Richard Childress Racing, where they clearly outperformed Richard Childress Racing as well. So 
I think the 78 team, with, with the Toyota horsepower and with all the information that they're getting, could be a force to be reckoned with in this chase. I think so as well. I mean, Truex has been something special, if you think about it. He was, what, a couple thousandths of a second from winning the big three, what would have been the old Winston Million, because he was nipped at the line by Denny Hamlin in the Daytona 500. He wins the Coke 600. He wins the Southern 500. And he was a top-five car at Indy. So, I mean, that car has been up front. The only time he saw any issues with that car, every now and then he'd get caught up into something, um, and they've had pit road issues throughout the year. And it seems like they straightened it out. I mean, if you look at it, at Darlington, they won the race because they were flawless on pit road. So they've grown from their mistakes throughout the year. And Colpern just can feel what Martin Truex wants in a car. And it seems like that combination is like the old Greg Zipadelli, Tony Stewart right off the bat, or the way Jimmy and Chad were when they first came together, or Ray Everham and Jeff Gordon. I could see that being a partnership that lasts a long, long time. It's really been incredible to watch the 78 team do what they've done. And, uh, you know, they're out in Denver, Colorado, and maybe their secrets, you know, they used to say about Bill Elliott when he was in Dawsonville, Georgia, that not a lot of teams can watch what you're doing. You know, it, it's hard to see what, what they're doing in, in Georgia when Elliott was in his dominance. And maybe that's the case with Denver, Colorado. They're out They're out there. Maybe they got a little trick under their sleeves, and, and people really aren't paying all that much attention to them. But they start. They should start because that team has really, really been fast. I don't think, you know, I don't think in the mile and a half tracks you're going to see it uh, change. I think Toyota's going to dominate. But uh, a very good win for Denny Hamlin this weekend. You know, it's a guy who uh, kind of his season after the 2500 was kind of sluggish. He's found his, his groove here recently, winning at Richmond, a hometown track. That was a big win for him. Also, a refreshing one, I thought, for Casey Kane, a guy who we mentioned earlier in the show has really, really struggled this season, uh, missed the chase just because he hasn't performed well. Um, and that and F5 team's kind of been out the lunch all year long. But here they are finishing sixth. They had a solid car all day. They weren't by any means ready to win the race there at Richmond, but they were in the top ten, top five all day long. And for that team, that's a step in the right direction. But I want to say this about Casey Kane. I think with these last ten races, that we need to see some improvement from that team. I think it's essential to see what this team can do and help build momentum for 2017. Because you got there, William Byron waiting in the wings to take out a ride, take over a ride, and Hendrick Motorsports and Casey Kane in a contract year next year. I think it's very important for these ten races. I know they're not in the chase, and I know this is a team that kind of might fly under the radar. But to get that momentum, to get building, to start feeling good about themselves again. 2017 because 2016 has been terrible, but if they can kind of take the, the last 10 races and do pretty well, I think it would be huge for that team. I think the final 10 races of the season will have a lot to say with how Casey Kane's future at Hendrick Motorsports is, but the other part to add on to it, I think Casey Kane's future at Hendrick Motorsports really depends on Dale Jr.'s recovery. I think William Byron sitting there as possibly Casey Kane's replacement already, going to run a year at Junior Motorsports, but they also have to have the contingency plan in case Junior can't fully recover or if he gets another concussion next year and the doctors say, okay, you really need to stop. I mean, Junior is, the way it seems, one wreck away from being done. So they have to have the contingency plan. The one thing I look at it, these 10 races, 
will determine whether or not Keith Rodden's back on the box. If That's interesting. These ten races, Kane doesn't perform and do well. I could see Darian Grubb on the box of that five car next year. Yeah, and he's a guy who's waiting in the wings. We talked about him a lot this year. And Kane's contract, let me correct myself, runs out at the end of the 2018 season. So he's still got two years left after this one. Um, but you're right about um, absolutely. I think that's even, you know, puts it into more perspective about Keith Rodden, whether or not he'll be back. You know, you got Darian Grubb waiting in the wings. And we've talked about him numerous times this year about a guy who can wait in the wings. Even when Dale Hunt Jr. was struggling a little bit in the middle of the year, that maybe Greg Ives would be replaced by him. But, yeah, Darian Grubb's a guy who comes from JGR, might have some notes there from a year ago on what they could be doing differently than what Hendrick Motorsports is doing, um, and maybe that would help. But, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think these last ten are essential for that five team. Again, just even to get feeling good about themselves in 2017. But I thought a, a very pleasing run if you're a Casey Kane fan to see what he did out there on, on Saturday night at Richmond. Also, I want to give a call out to Michael McDowell, finishing in the 12th spot. I know there was a high attrition, and so all the cars that struggled early on and lost laps um, kind of got their laps back due to the uh, 16 cautions. But here's a guy who hasn't run the full year this year for uh, Levine Family Racing. He's kind of shared that ride with Ty Dillon, but he's had some pretty good runs this year, had a great win at, at Road America um, in the Xfinity Series. But I'll tell you, it's, it's a guy who – you know, has not really ever gotten that big shot. He's been in the Cup Series kind of banging around these smaller rides here for a few years. But I thought a very good run at Richmond, stayed out of trouble, um, and, and finished 12th. And that's what that team needed. They needed, again, to get themselves feeling good about themselves. So I wanted to give a call out to Michael McDowell as well. A couple of disappointments. I I thought Ryan Blaney was a disappointment. This team, this 21 team, has been fast here the last few weeks. They just haven't been able to, to seem to be able to put it together lately, John. And, you know, they need to get consistent here in these last 10 to prove that they can compete for a championship next year. I think that's their goal for these last 10 races. But uh, a, a team, again, who's shown some speed in that 21 car, they got the alliance with Penske, but they kind of need to put it all together in these last 10 to get momentum going and to kind of feel good about themselves heading into 2017. Uh, but another tough day for Ryan Blaney. I think Ryan Blaney, to me, has as good a future as Chase Elliott does. I think it was complete growing pains. The Wood Brothers have not run a full season in over a decade. And they just, it seemed like, you know, the old NFL adage where you go from 13 games in college football to playing 16 plus four exhibition games, and then you hit the playoffs where the rookies in the NFL hit a wall, or a rookie pitcher hits a wall at about 150 innings. I think Chase Elliott hit the rookie wall. I mean, not Chase Elliott. Uh, Ryan Blaney hit the rookie wall. Ryan Blaney's a good racer. I think the team is just wearing down a little bit. I think this top, these ten races will help them gauge what they need to do for next year because they're in uncharted territory. The Wood Brothers haven't run more than 15 races in a long time, and they're just going to get better. Blaney is the real deal. He's a solid racer. Him and Chase Elliott are the cream of this rookie crop. James Busher's in the chase, but he's not the racer that Ryan Blaney is. And I think Blaney will be fine. He'll do well the rest of the chase, I mean, during the 10 races. But he will be somebody who will be in contention for a chase position next year. I agree with that. I think Blaney's a great driver. And it's a team that's that's been very good. Jimmy Bones is a good crew chief. I don't think we're going to see any major changes there. 
moving into 2017. But, you know, again, I think that just, I think, if they can find some consistency, uh, that's their, been their biggest bugaboo. We've seen some really good runs from them, and then all of a sudden they have a couple of bad weeks where stupid stuff will come up, blown tire like this weekend at Richmond, or, you know, miss a lug nut or whatnot here or there. But they've had some real stupid stuff come up. So consistency is – but uh, one more note before we dive into the controversies on Saturday night. Um, you know, it, was, it looked like Chris Buescher was – you know, we knew the 16 chasers were pretty much going to be in. The only question at Richmond as far as who wasn't going to be in was Chris Buescher. Uh, and David Reagan, David Reagan qualified 21st. Looked like he was going to have a pretty good day. Chris Buescher qualified at 31st. But uh, wrecked that actually happened with Tony Stewart and Ryan Newman. Uh, took out David Reagan, and uh, that kind of solidified Chris Buescher's uh, path into the chase. So we know our 16 chasers going in, but really that was the only, um, you know, aside from maybe Ryan Newman pulling off a win, really the only, in, in case he came pulling off a win, the only scare, I guess you can say, as far as a chase was concerned. But other than that, you know, we haven't really seen that. And my question to you is, uh, do you think this 16-car chase hurts the excitement at Richmond where, you know, we had just have just too, maybe too many cars in the chase where if we had 10, we'd have a couple more people fighting for it, or we had 12, we had a couple more people fighting for it. Um, what's your opinion on, on this 16-car chase? Do you think it hurts kind of hurts the excitement going into the chase as far as knowing who's in and knowing who's out? Sorry, I think you've uh, maybe lost John Harlow there for a second here, and he comes back with a little technical difficulties there for John Harlow. And I was, as I was asking you, John, uh, the 16 chasers, do you think um, there's been, you know, this, this race at Richmond has almost been uh, lackluster here in the last couple of years because we have too many chasers where if we had 12, or maybe 10, we'd have a couple more guys fighting for the final case spots? I think 16 is too many. It's almost half the field. Right, and they're running 40 total now instead of 43, but still 16 is too many. I think they could do it with 12 and cut three every week. And But, I mean, the thing is they want to make it with four at the end, so they made it like they made it 16. I mean, it is what it is. It does take a lot of the drama away from Richmond, and – it isn't like it used to be whenever you had the Jeremy Mayfield racing his way into the chase or when Kane raced his way into the chase at the Richmond race. You pretty much, especially with Newman's, Newman's penalty the week before post-race, you knew who the 16 cars were going to be. The only thing that mattered was whether um, Chris Buescher was going to stay ahead of Reagan. And his philosophy throughout the whole race was, as long as I can see Reagan, I'm okay. And he did that all night long. I mean, if you look, both of them got caught up in the Stewart incident. Why? Because they were right on top of each other. And that's the smart way to race whenever all you have to do is stay ahead of the guy or stay close to the guy. If you're racing to keep him behind you, you keep him in your sights and you're fine. That was the only drama about the chase it was missing. But the the race overall brought a lot of extra drama to everything. <laughs> and Oh, yeah. Part of it is, I mean, you really think about it, Denny Hamlin won the race. It was his 29th win. He won at home. He did it in a relatively dominating fashion, but nobody's talking about it. That's right. 917-889-8280. I'll give that number four. We start talking about the controversy stuff. And the first one happened between Matt Kenseth and Brad Keselowski. It was almost, I think this would get a lot more play had we not had the Ryan Newman and Tony Stewart situation. But, uh, you know, 
Kozlowski came out and apologized to Matt Kenseth. Uh, they got together. Kozlowski's car hit the left, hit the side of, of Matt Kenseth's car. Kenseth blew left front tire, hit the outside wall, ruined Kenseth's day. Really doesn't do anything for either one of them because of the fact that Kenseth locked him to the chase. So is Brad Kozlowski. They'll go get him. I think it might have initiated a little bit of a spark, I should say, that uh, was burned from last year. But I don't think it was intentional. I think Brad just kind of got loose. And he came out and kind of uh, extinguished the fire there. And Matt Kenson said, listen, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I screwed up. It won't happen again. And I think that makes people and drivers feel a little bit better that they come out and take total blame for that. But that's not the real issue. The real issue was Ryan Newman and Tony Stewart's situation, where Tony Stewart on the back straightaway, no doubt about it, comes down clear as day and tries to wreck Ryan Newman to the inside wall. I thought a very, very dirty move, John Harlow. Um, and this is the second week in a row we've seen Tony Stewart go out there and deliberately wreck somebody for one in, one issue or another. And I like Ryan Newman. I think Ryan Newman is a very good driver. I think he's very underrated. And I agree with his first comments where I think Tony Stewart's almost out there frustrated that he's in a stock car and he can't wait to leave and he's kind of ruining people's days. And – I understand that you're frustrated about that, but you also have to use your head. If somebody did that to Tony Stewart, you'd go crazy. Where I have the problem, John, is Ryan Newman bringing up the past issues with Tony Stewart. I thought that was a little uncalled for, a little below the belt. Um, I think it was something that uh, might have stemmed from anger from maybe losing his ride at Stewart House Racing a few years ago and then hiring Kevin Harvick. Uh, and, and the fact that he had a, Newman had a tough year, he didn't make the chase, and that wreck was sort of the icing on the cake for it all. But uh, what are your what's your comments here? What are your comments on this Tony Stewart Ryan Newman situation that's gotten so much play here over the past week? I make no bones about it. I'm a unabashed Tony Stewart fan. Have been since he ran uh, Thursday Night Thunder way back in the day on ESPN with the USAC Midgets and Sprints. Tony Stewart was wrong the last two weeks, and. He said, I mean, they. he said about the after the Darlington, he pulled um, Brian Scott aside, and, and they had a talk. And in reality, Stewart was saying, I mean, basically said he was doing the old school justice. It was done to him by Earnhardt Sr., Rusty, and that group that if you hit people at the wrong time, you're going to get payback. And I think it would have been – not the accident it was if Newman wouldn't have got hit from behind on the backstretch when Stewart was just basically pulling him down onto the groove and Edwards was coming with a head of steam and didn't have anywhere to go and hit Newman in the rear end to start it. That's where the backstretch thing was. Now, I was listening to Moody this afternoon, and he brought up something that probably not a lot of people have thought about. You know who is now going to be called as a witness in the Kevin Ward suit against Tony Stewart? Ryan Newman. If you listen to those comments where he said bipolar, lost his mind, thought he was in a sprint car again, um, that is, hello, pick me to be your chief witness for the prosecution or the chief witness for the people who are going for the money in the Ryan in the uh, Kevin Ward Jr. civil suit. I think Ryan. One of the things with Ryan Newman, he thinks and knows what he's going to say every time. I think he's he was frustrated guy. that he was taken out of the chase. 
I think he also should have been frustrated. I mean, the other thing he might be frustrated on is he probably knows whether or not he's out of a ride next year. That's a very good point. And he not just might be running for to get into the chase, he might be running to audition for somebody to hire him for next year. And he holds the judgment against Stewart probably. It's probably been simmering underneath that he picked Harvick over him. Over, I mean, hired Harvick to take Newman's spot at the Stuart Haas Racing and said there's no room at the end for a fourth car. And then two weeks later, Gene Haas announces Kurt Busch is going to drive a Haas Automation Chevrolet without talking mm-hmm. to Tony. If you are a car owner in the Sprint Cup Series and you want the best possible way to do your team and you have the choice between Ryan Newman or Kevin Harvick, who are you picking? I'm taking Kevin Harvick every day yeah. and twice on Sunday. And if you look at it, the first first season Harvick was in a Stuart Haas car, he won the championship. They've been fast since Harvick stepped into that four car. I think Newman's four years of frustration built up, and it's the first time him and Tony got into it, and Newman basically let loose on everything. The one thing where I have to give Stewart credit for is after the wreck, he went to the hauler and just calmed down because he was probably ready to spit bullets whenever it all happened. So he calmed down, got his wits about him, and for once, I mean, something that's unusual out of a driver, he told the truth. Yeah, I wrecked him. Everybody, I mean, even Jeff Burton said yesterday on NBC's uh, NASCAR America, he said, I'd never admit to intentionally wrecking anybody. You never do that. But Stewart is the ultimate when it comes to, I'll tell you how it is. And he did it, and he said about it, and he said three times, and they even went back and showed Newman cutting Stewart off on lap five (laughs) and coming down on him in turn one and basically taking the court, I mean, taking his front quarter panel and just crushing it in a little bit. So Stewart's got one shot, and the one thing Stewart does do, he has his own form of justice, and he got hit twice more on the lap where he wound up wrecking Newman and seven others. I mean, like Stewart said, how many times are you going to let somebody hit you before payback comes? And if you remember early in the season – Stewart even said, I'm getting used up by everybody, and sooner or later, I'm not going to take it. And Stewart hasn't been dishing out his justice since in the past year and a half. So it's almost back to Tony Stewart pre-broken leg, because he would have done that pre-broken leg. Since the broken leg, he hasn't been doing it, but Tony Stewart justice seems to be back. Whether it's right or wrong, it seems to be back. And I think a lot of these veterans, John, at the end of the day, uh, even maybe Ryan Newman's included in this, guys who were here before the double file restarts were commonplace kind of get annoyed at double file restarts because there's so many of them. And because you have to drive so aggressive on these restarts, whether that's bumping somebody, whether that's running somebody into a corner a little bit harder than what they normally normally are, but with the way the clean air is, with the way these cars are so close nowadays, you have to get everything you can get on these restarts. And I think these drivers, these veteran drivers, and I and I hate to say this, and I don't mean to sound like a jerk here, but this is the truth. Dale Earnhardt Sr. was even whiny when he was a little bit older because the race, the sport had changed a little bit with with Sr. He didn't like some of the, the moves NASCAR made to 
uh, with, the, with the bodies of these race cars to help, what NASCAR thought was help induce passing. And Dale struggled, and when he struggled, he got a little bit frustrated. And I still think Tony Stewart's obviously not on his game where he should be. Uh, I don't think he's going to go too far in this chase. Uh, he's, he's done much better than where he was last year and two years ago, but he's not nearly a championship contender winning it constantly, running up front constantly. He's done a decent job this year, but they, ha- they haven't been great. And I think that's got a lot to do with this. I think when you're a veteran driver and you're used to winning, you get frustrated. And, yeah, maybe when Ryan Newman bumped him into the corner, that annoyed him. But I thought that was over the line what he did. And even Sunday, even Sunday at Darlington, I thought what he did was over the line. You know, I know there was no really contact made from Scott. I know Scott's four laps down, but he still deserves to run his own race. And on Sunday, I just thought, you know, you want to pay Ryan Newman back, take out Ryan Newman. That's fine. Ryan Newman himself. But, you know, he took out an entire field that really didn't deserve that at all. Um, and it was an accident that was just – I thought absurd and it was unnecessary. And yet, listen, Newman's comments I thought were totally wrong and, and totally below the belt and totally – some of them were. You know, I understand his point where he says, you know, he's retired and old. That's frustration. I, I don't think anybody cares about that. But it's when you get to the stuff that is, is you know, personal, way, way below the belt, I think that's when you have to kind of draw the line here. You know, you don't want anybody digging into Ryan Newman's past and finding something that he did. That, and I don't know if he did anything, that, uh, but – you don't you still want drivers to go to that level all the time. I know I don't. I don't want people to, to dig back into uh, somebody else's past and say, well, he did this at a dirt track. I mean, come on, let's get real here. But, um, again, I just thought Stewart maybe is a little frustrated with how he's even been performing lately. And, you know, there's no doubt he's come out and said this earlier in the year, John, he doesn't want to be in these cup cars every week. He wants to be out there running around, uh, doing his own thing and running his own races, and that's fine. But, uh, and I'm not saying he, he has to put on a pretty face. If he doesn't want to be here, whatever. But don't ruin somebody else's day because of that. And I think that's where Ryan Newman was kind of annoyed um, as far as that was concerned. You know, and, and, and that's how I see it. Like I said, uh, I'm an unabashed Stewart fan, but he's wrong two weeks in a row. Um, is he going to do it again? Who knows? I'm surprised NASCAR hasn't fined him for this one because it is two weeks in a row. I figured they, the Brian Scott one, they'd let it go. They talked, pulled him to the hauler, probably gave him the, hey, don't do this again. But then he does it again this week. I'm surprised he didn't get a big fine like they did for Danica during the the same race at Kenseth and Logano at Kansas last year. Danica right. took out and got a $50,000 fine and 15 points. I'm surprised right. Stewart didn't have to pay something. But the one thing yeah, that's, that... That's a good point. The one thing I will see, and I'm waiting to see what comes of it, if they make them talk to the media afterwards, is Steve O'Donnell said flat out, these two will talk this week, and we will iron it out before we go. They're not, And that's smart, something smart NASCAR has done after learning from the Logano-Kenseth thing last year, is we're going we're gonna to nip this in the bud before the chase starts. We're not going to have vigilante justice in the chase from a non-chaser to a chase-goer which is understandable, but I want to know how that comes out because up until this, there was no indication that Ryan Newman had the the below-the-belt thoughts. It always seemed like he Mm -hmm. parted Stuart Haas amicably. They were still friends. I mean, Chrissy designed Tony's cabin in Indiana. I mean, you thought they were – Still good buddies. I mean, he replaced one friend with another friend. 
And that's what he wound up doing. And Danica brought a boatload of money. I mean, I bet if Tony had his way, Ryan Newman would be in the 10 car, not Danica Patrick, if Ryan Newman brought the money that Danica did. Right. Yeah, I was definitely surprised. I mean, I, I don't think anybody saw this coming. It was surprising that it was Ryan Newman because, like you said, Ryan's road for him. They've been really good friends. And, um, you know, you have to wonder kind of where this came from. That was really, I think, even the biggest deal was it was almost the shock of it all that was Ryan Newman because, like you said, they were, they were great friends. They've run for each other in the past. You know, Chrissy helped design his home and all that kind of stuff. So a very surprising deal. And I think you're right. I think we're going to hear a lot more about this coming up that maybe they buried the hatchet or whatnot. I don't think Tony's going to care to take out Ryan Newman in a chase again. And, and I, don't, I don't know. If, you know, I think what Ryan Newman did here was one thing that uh, he did was kind of keep Tony Stewart sort of away from him to not get the bad PR these last 10 races. Besides, Tony's got a championship to focus on. If he wants to win his final one going out, uh, the last thing he needs to be doing is worrying about Ryan Newman, who's not in the chase. 907-889-8280 here if you want to join the conversation on Talking in Circles. Okay, we talked about the chase. Here we are. You know, we, we've got through 26 races in the regular season. We start the chase next weekend at Chicagoland. Round one is Chicagoland, New Hampshire, and then Dover to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 400 at Chicagoland Speedway this weekend. Uh, and then round two is Charlotte, Kansas, and Talladega. Round three, Martinsville, Texas, and Phoenix. And, of course, the final race, which is the championship race at Homestead Miami Speedway. 16 chasers. we got Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Carl Edwards, Martin Shrix Jr., Matt Kenseth, Jimmy Johnson, Joe Logano, Kyle Larson, Tony Stewart, Kurt Busch, Chris Busher, Chase Elliott, Austin Dillon, and Jamie McMurray as your chasers. Um, we'll, go, we'll go round by round, John. Give me just the, the drivers you have uh, exiting each round, and then give me your final four and your champion for this chase bracket. I'll give you my first four first. Who are out after the first four rounds? I think Chris Busher. It's a nice story, uh, but I don't think they're going to have the, the, the equipment to compete with them. I think Carl Edwards, which is going to surprise some people. I'm not sure that 19 team. Uh, it just seems like out of all the JGR teams, they're not the one not as distinct. I think Austin Dillon's been a great story. His first chase. Uh, I don't think RCR's got the equipment to sort of keep up with what's going on there. And I think Tony Stewart. I hate to do it to you, but I think he's out in the first round as well. I think. Uh, that team hasn't run nearly as good as, as they should have. And I, those are my first four guys out, John. Who do you got going out in the first round? I have the three of the, three of the same four that you have. I have Carl Edwards going out because you're right. I don't think the 19 team is the same as the 11, 18, and 20. I have Austin Dillon going out because the RCR equipment is not what everybody else's is. James Busher, great story. Or Chris Busher, great story. Not going to make it. The Roush Fenway stuff has been 20th all year. They're not going to just turn up the wick on a car that's been struggling all season as it is. And my fourth one I have is Jamie McMurray. He's been running well up to the chase. I just got a feeling that Chip Ganassi is going to focus on the Kyle Larson car a little wee bit more. They're going to try to say they got everything equal, but I think the the eggs are in the Kyle Larson basket more than they are the McMurray basket. Those are the four I have going out in the first round. Okay, my round two guys going out. I got Jamie going out in the second round. Kurt Busch, and the reason why I say Kurt Busch is because, again, as all Stuart Haas teams, they've run good, but they haven't really won the races. I think you're going to need to win some races here in this chase. Uh, Joe Logano, as good of a year he's had, he's only won one race this year. So I think that that's a guy to keep an eye on. And Matt Kenseth, you know, 
Um, I, I like Matt a lot. I think he's a great driver. But, you know, somebody has – when you get down to, to the final eight there, I think somebody has to kind of fall that you don't expect. And Matt Kenseth might be that guy to fall who doesn't ex- – you're not going to expect to fall. Um, so I think, again, in, in the second round, I got going out is McMurray, Kurt Busch, Joe Logano, and Matt Kenseth. John Harlow, you're four in the second round. Well, I have Chase Elliott because I just don't think Hendrick has it. Um, I have Kurt Busch because of the Stuart Haas cars, I have the feeling he's the one who can find the mistake. And Talladega is one of those places where if there's a mistake that can be had, it will be there. Um, I have, let's see, I have it all written down, too. I have Brad Keselowski because I have the feeling that Joey will do better than Brad, and if there's a chance, there's a mistake that will be made, Brad will end up being in the middle of it. And I have Kyle Larson going out in the second round. I think Kyle is a great story. I think Kyle making it to the second, going, making it into the second round is a good story. I just don't think they're ready for it yet. Because remember, up until June, I was saying Chad Johnston's the worst crew chief you've ever seen. <laughs> Now, granted, they've turned it around the second half of the year, and he got himself in the chase, but I just don't think they're ready yet. So I have Keselowski, Kurt Busch, Chase Elliott, and Kyle Larson going out in the second round. It's interesting. It's an interesting assessment, and you're probably right on the, on the Larson thing. I'm a big believer in momentum, so you'll see where I have, where I will have Larson. Uh, the the last four that are out, um, you I think it's going to be Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., which is going to surprise some people, and Jimmy Johnson. I think Jimmy's a guy who uh, I think on his experience and his talent will get into the final chase. I think he'll win Dover because he always wins Dover. So that'll at least get him into the second round and maybe even uh, figure out a way to win. You know, Martinsville and get to the final part of the chase. Talladega is always an option for him, but um, I got him going out in the final round. Truex, you know, as much as I love that 78 team, as much as I was talking about earlier in the show, they only have two wins this year with the fastest race car. They seem like to have the black cloud over them. I hope for their sake that they get that black cloud lifted and they were, they're able to run for a championship, but I have to see it. Denny Hamlin, it's nothing against this 11 team. Joe Gibbs Racing seems to have this almost, uh, not to call it a black cloud because I already used that term, but mechanical failure motorsports, as, as one of my old colleagues like to call them, and that 11 team always seems to have something dumb go down where it's something, you know, completely that we've never seen before go down on them. And I have a feeling that might keep him from running for a championship. So it's Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, Martin Strick Jr., and Jimmy Johnson after the third round. What do you got, John Harlow? I have Kyle Busch going out in the third round. I have Matt Kenseth going out in the third round. I have Joey Logano going out in the third round. And I have Jimmy Johnson going out in the third round. Now, granted, I have the old heart pick in there, but I really think of the Joe Gibbs racing cars, Kyle Busch has been great throughout the regular season. He had a great chase last year, but it is really tough to repeat. And if you look, if he gets to that third round, Martinsville's right there. And who are the two biggest winners at Martinsville, Denny Hamlin and Jimmy Johnson. And since I don't think Hendrick has enough, I think Hamlin gets the win in Martinsville that gets him into the Homestead round. Um, 
I just don't see it with Kenseth. I mean, there's only enough room for one Joe Gibbs Racing team, I think, in the final round. Now, I think the affiliate team's going to be there, too, because Truex has been the fastest all season long, and there's an intermediate track in each round, and Truex has been lights out at the intermediate tracks. I think Harvick gets to the third round, and Harvick wins Phoenix. That's what he always does. Mm-hmm. And I just see the way things are going. I can see Stewart pulling the Ryan Newman from three years ago, or two years ago, and pointing his way to the final round. That would be interesting if he's running runs for the championship in his final year. No doubt about it, like Jeff Gordon did a year ago. Uh, personally, I don't see it with that team. I just think... Um, they haven't performed to the level that they need to do that to get to the final round, but hey, they could be holding some stuff back and be able to get into the chase that way and have fast race cars here. My and in 2000, uh, if you remember 2011, Stewart's team, I mean, Stewart went into Chicago saying, we suck, we should even be here. Mm-hmm. And they went out and won a championship. Yeah, and won five races in the chase and completely dominated. It was, a, it was a, an impressive chase from that team. You know, it was so bad that people forget that Darren Grubbs was, was let go before yeah. the chase even started because because of, of how bad the season was. But he's able to win the championship. It just shows you that you never quite know what's going on with this chase. But it's fun to predict. And my final four going into Homestead will be Kyle Larson, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Busch. I think uh, Kyle's going to be represent the Toyota team. It's funny that i got a lot of different manufacturers. I like Brad. I think Brad, they, they, that team will step up towards the chase. I think Kevin Harvick and his four teams are the most consistent team on the circuit right now. We don't see the wins that they deserve to get, but they are always up in the top three or four every week, and I think that, that's a team that's going to get in. I think Larson, and I know, you know your points are very valid that they're a new team, that they haven't uh, – maybe they're not a big team, so getting into the chase is, is just a star for them. But I'm a big believer in momentum, and I said with this Larson kid, I think if he wins one race – He's going to win a lot, um, and I think he could win some races in the chase. I think that team is clicking on all cylinders. I think they got a lot of momentum, and I think that will get them into the final round. Who are your final four, John? My final four is Denny Hamlin, because when you say momentum, Hamlin has 24 consecutive races, I mean, 24 consecutive top ten qualifying runs. He's been running good all year. He has, they have their hiccups here and there, but I think they've worked them out. I think the co- the combination of him and Mike Wheeler, their communication is phenomenal. And you look at the way they ran on Saturday night, that is the perfect start to get going into the chase. I have Harvick. Like you said, Harvick's the most consistent. Even whenever they screw up on pit road, they come back and finish second or they come back and finish fourth. I mean, Harvick will top five, top ten you to death. Plus, you get that third round. If Harvick's there, you might as well just bank on it. He's winning at Phoenix. That's what he does. I think Truex has had the most speed of every car on the track. And you've got an intermediate in each round. And I think Truex has a shot to win the intermediates. And if you look at how he ran at Daytona this year, he can run on the restrictor plate. And could Talladega could be the one that sends him in. And I have Stewart in there just because I'm sentimental. He's the guy I've followed since he came in. I'd love to see the story the same way we saw it with Jeff Gordon, where Stewart's retirement year, he's racing for the championship. I just have the feeling he can point him, or he could, he has a chance to win at Martinsville. He's a great short track racer. He does really well at Kansas. I mean, Stewart is a great restrictor plate racer. So 
<clears throat> there's a chance that Stewart could end up sneaking his way into that Final Four, and I think it'd be a great story, and hopefully it'll put these last two weeks away where he was off the rocker. He did, didn't do the right things. He did race other people the, the way he says he doesn't like to be raced, but I'd love to see him get in that Final Four. That's just a sentimental pick in reality. Yeah. I almost want to say Jimmy Johnson sneaks his way in there because of the way the chase races are set up. He wins at Dover. He wins at Martinsville. He survives the middle round. I could see Jimmy Johnson and Hendrick finding something. Because you never count Hendrick Motorsports out. As bad as they've been running this year and as inconsistent as Jimmy Johnson has been, they've always been great in those last ten races. They really have. 917-889-8280. we got a caller here, which we'll go to real quick after we give our championship picks. Um, we'll also put our chase brackets up. put our chase brackets up on Facebook, so fans, if it's hard to follow on our show, we'll be able to put them on Facebook. John Harlow, real quick, give me your champion for 2016. My champion comes from Joe Gibbs Racing for the second year in a row. It's their 25th anniversary, and I see Denny Hamlin winning the championship in the FedEx Toyota. I like to see him do that because he's, you know, he's come close a couple of times where he's probably deserved to win a championship. And for whatever reason, you remember that race at Phoenix with Mike Ford where they kind of went nuts on each other. I think it was the year Tony won it in 2011. Uh, they had probably the best car all, all year long that year. Um, I'm going to go with Kyle Larson. And I know that's kind of crazy to people. But, again, I'm a big believer in momentum. I'm a big believer in that the team will run well. Um, they do have – people forget they have Hendrick Motorsports engines in there. So that's a big deal, but um, yeah, that's who my champion is. Okay, we have a caller here, John Harlow. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee in Virginia. Hi, Lee. What do you want to talk about tonight? I wanted to give you. I, I don't have my chase bracket all set and stuff, set in stone or anything like that. But I wanted to give you the four that I think will be in the final round and the four that'll be out after this round of my champion. That's fine. Go ahead. All right, well, I wanted to give you a little bit of an idea of where I'm coming from first. I think that the 48 car, they've run really strong at times this year, um, and they've even run really strong at times during the race, and that, and that as the race has gone on, it seems like they've experimented more as the race has gone on and then have cost themselves a good run. They're not going to do that in a chase. I think they're going to be headed in the right direction there. Uh, and another thing that scared me about Martin Truex Jr. was, I don't know if you guys heard his interview um this week after the race, or it was maybe even before the race, that somebody asked him, once the chase starts, does the information from Joe Gibbs Racing sort of taper off? And Martin Truex Jr. kind of kind of gave us, kind of fumbled over the answer and, and almost said, you know, yeah, it sort of does. Um, you know, and to me, that scares me if the, if the JGR cars are going to keep it to themselves and not give Truex very much. Um, and, you know, this was just to get them into the chase. Now, I think the first four that are going to be out of here... Um, Chris Buescher, nice story. I agree with John Harlow. I think that the, uh, you know, the, the, the Roush cars, especially lately, have, have kind of come back to where they were and tapered off. Um, I'm going to say um, uh, Tony Stewart is going to be out after the first round. I just think his head is in a completely different area. You know, it, it's not to, to win a championship. I think he's definitely checked out of here, wants out of here. Can't wait to get out of here. Um, he's out. Um, I'm going to say Austin Dillon because RCR – Nice story that he made to chase, but he's out. And I'm going to say Jamie McMurray 
uh, they're not running up front enough, if you ask me, to go out there and win races so and, and advance themselves into the chase. My, my final four, I'm going to go with that 48. I think that they are headed in the right direction. I think that that team is a team that uh, they're saving a lot for the chase. I think this year we're, gonna, we're starting to see in this third year of this new format a lot of teams saving things for the chase. I think we saw a lot of that with the four car this year. I think we saw a lot of that with the 48. I'm going to say the, uh, the four and the 48 make it to the final round. And then you got to go with the Toyotas. I'm going with Matt Kenseth, the guy who knows that the, the, the biological clock is ticking um, in, in his career. Uh, you know, he's 44 years old. He knows that the career is winding down. And I'm going to go with Denny Hamlin. Now, I'm not going to pick him to win a championship, but uh, I think, you know, you guys are right on the money there about Denny Hamlin where, you know, he has been really, really strong all year long here and has really picked up the consistency. He hasn't had a, a run outside of the top ten since New Hampshire. And I'm going to go with my champion, Kevin Harvick, the second time in three years. That's a solid bracket there, Lee. I mean, you can't – I mean, one of the things that you look at – I can't argue with what your philosophy is when it comes to Harvick. I mean, he's been the most consistent car all season long. He's all, I mean, like he's, whenever he has his bad stops, his bad pit problems, he still ends up coming up in the top five. So you can almost bank on Harvick being somebody to contend with. You look last year, he finished second in the race to Kyle Busch. So Harvick is a legit contender. That's a great bracket. I think the, the four that you have going out, there's every reason to expect, like you said, Tony his mind might be on getting out of the car in 10 races, or his mind might be if this is it, I'm going to do everything I can to win. Nobody's going to know until they throw the helmets on at Chicago this week and see how everybody does. The other three in your first four out are easy to agree with. McMurray hasn't been running up front. Busher doesn't have the equipment. Dylan doesn't have the equipment. So, I mean, it's a great bracket, not a lot to argue with there, Lee. I have to agree with that, Lee, there. Uh, there's not a lot to argue with. I think you can, you know, I always think there's a surprise we never see coming down the road when when it comes to the first round. You're like, man, that car's out and that car's in. But, I mean, he, Eric Amarola almost did it a couple of years ago when he uh, was running so good at Chicagoland and then had an engine problem and really kind of knocked him out. But, yeah, no, it, it's a solid bracket for sure, and I, I think you uh, thought about it logically. Um, anything else you want to discuss, Lee, uh, about – Tonight's show, um, you know, I don't well, know if you're I listening to all night. Give my take there on, on the Newman Stewart Newman versus Stewart thing. I think, you know, in the heat of the moment, um, it's a little difficult for me to take Newman's uh, uh, comments seriously. Um, but you know, Tony Stewart was in the wrong there. You know, you don't you don't go down and crash a driver. I I, I understood the Brian Scott thing because it was a, in the heat of the moment, and you know, Brian Scott was four laps down, but Newman was racing for position there. Um, you know, and Tony was right in the fact that Newman had cost himself to chase, you know, in, in the previous other 25 races. Yes. He's absolutely right. You know, Newman put himself in position, and that team with the penalties that they got coming out of Darlington and the penalties they got coming out of Atlanta is really what put him in that position to begin with. But um, you don't you don't go and do that. You know, you just don't go and wreck somebody intentionally. He wouldn't have been happy about it if it happened to him. And so he's in the wrong there. Newman's comments, I I I, I kind of you know you I. I don't like them, but you get people that get all up in arms about these drivers being too vanilla nowadays. And then, uh, you know, somebody says something that's a little controversial, and everybody's waving their hands and pissed at Ryan Newman as well. So, uh, you know, some Good of these point. drivers just can't win. It's a fair point. I, 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 I see your point on that as far as 
Spadella goes, but again, I didn't have any issue with him saying, you know, Tony Stewart's old and needs to retire and stuff like that. I just feel like there's when you get into deep personal stuff, you know, it's almost like saying Kurt Busch, something about Kurt Busch's past or Kyle Busch's past, you know. I just feel like there's some stuff that we all know about that we don't need to rehash, um, or even Michael Waltrip's past, you know, uh, and, and you, they're all well-documented, those pasts. So I, I don't think it, and anything, you know, if, if if Kurt Busch did it to Ryan Newman, I don't think Ryan Newman should have said anything about that either. I would have felt the same way. I don't care if you call him big-headed or, or impatient or a jerk or anything like that. I think that's fun, but I think there's a certain line you cross when you bring up stuff like that, and I think Ryan Newman crossed it. Well, yeah, I have a question for you. That this is, I, I want to know what your thought is. I was listening to Sirius XM today, and one of the things that Moody brought up in his show is Ryan Newman now has a very good chance of being called at the witness stand of the Kevin Ward Jr. civil suit because of those comments. Do you think that it will, I mean, because a lot of times Newman's one of those ones, he thinks before he speaks, and he says what he means. He doesn't hold back. He tells the truth. He's pretty much right on with what he wants to say. I don't think he thought that deep into it, and it could end up deeper and more troublesome than those comments were made. Absolutely, and it's not like you can deny it. If you're called as a witness, you almost have to go. You can't You can't not go. Am I, am I mistaken on that? Or that, That's basically, you know, Newman can't say, oh, I don't want to. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think, so, I think it's a, a court order. Right, so he needs to be able to. He needs to do that. So um, you're right on that, absolutely. Um, but I, I also think that there there is a fine line between you know we've seen Tony Stewart in the past have a major issues, especially when he first got in the Cup and Home Depot nearly left. Lives with Gibbs. He's gotten better, um, but there's no question that those comments are bringing up. I don't know whether it's the past issues and, and whatever he was talking about looking on YouTube. Yeah, you're right, John. It might be one of those things where he's called as a witness. And at that point, I think Ryan Newman may regret those comments because I know he's not going to want to get, uh, you know, Tony Stewart indicted on, you know, any in any more trouble than he may already be in, you know. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right on that. One more thing I wanted to touch on before you guys hang up on me, though, is the crew chief change today at Richard Petty Motorsports. I, I'm sure you guys are going to touch on it here later on in the show. I want yep. to get to it before I got hung up on here, but. I think that, you know, Richard Petty Motorsports, and I'm going to go to the record in saying this, has made an egregious mistake today. Um, Trent Owens is a very, very good crew chief. Drew Blickensurfer has underachieved every single place that he's went. And listen, I understand that if you want to fire a crew chief with 10 races to go to get ready for next season, if you have a, a nice, shining, young engineering crew chief that you want to groom for 2017, you don't have that. Drew Blickensurfer has been around the block. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I said, is that going to make? Is that move going to make Richard Petty Motorsports better? I honestly don't see how it does. I mean, I think a crew chief, a crew swap with Chris Arroy makes more sense than that for Trent Owens. And Trent Owens has done a good job. I'm not sure the drivers at Richard Petty Motorsports are good, but I think you know they knew there was going to be growing pains building their own stuff and getting fired yeah. a crew chief right in the middle of that doesn't make a lot of sense. If you ask me. I think and, when uh, and I Lee, think you got right on with it, Lee. That it's not a mm-hmm. smart move by Richard Petty Motorsports because Drew Blickensurfer doesn't do well with anybody. I mean, Kenseth does. It, Matt Kenseth is not a crew chief killer, and he wanted Drew Blickensurfer out. He didn't make a full season with Matt Kenseth. He hasn't done anything special. And if you really think about it, Drew Blickensturfer is the chief of R&D at Richard Petty Motorsports. If there's anybody who should get canned, it's Drew Blickensturfer because the cars aren't fast. 
It's not getting the cars good. Now you're going to put them up on top of the box. Maybe it's their way of getting them out of the R&D shop. Hopefully, if they're doing something like that, put Trent Owens in the R&D shop and see if he can help make the cars go faster. I can live with that move. And what's this say about Eric Almirola? Eric Almirola asked for Trent Owens to be the crew chief. He wanted Trent Owens to be the crew chief a year and a half ago. They were really good last year. They were close to getting to the chase. They regressed this year, and part of that's them doing their own stuff. But they don't. I mean, if you think about it, they're keeping continuing to repair Brian Scott's cars all the time. They don't have chance to move forward. They keep building new ones to replace the crap that Brian Scott keeps wrecking. I wanted to say you're right about that. Look at look at Clayton brought up McDowell earlier in the show. Michael McDowell hasn't run four races this year, and he's ahead of Brian Scott in points this year. That's 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 deplorable, deplorable, deplorable. I mean, that's inexcusable if you're Brian Scott. You're right. Nine seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. It's been, a, and that's where I have a problem, Lee. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. That's where I have a problem. I think it's been an organizational struggle. And another problem I have is, which is something that uh, people forget, is you know, a couple of weeks ago they made a big time organizational change in there where they, they got rid of Sammy Johns as well. And you just kind of have to wonder, you know, well, was it Sammy Johns or was it the crew chief? Like, you're kind of giving mixed signals. And I think, honestly, Drew Blickensturfer's here to kind of figure out where they are. They know what Drew Blickensturfer can do. I think these final ten are, are sitting there going, okay, Drew, tell us what we need, kind of direction we need to go in. And then they can kind of figure out if they want to bring up an engineer or a crew chief or whatnot uh, in 2016. Drew Blickensturfer, like Brandon said, he's, been, he's bounced around a, a lot. Like we said, he's bounced around a lot in his career. Um, and it's a, it's a deal where, you know, he was at RCR for a while, helped Jeff Burton out, and they got he, he was gone after a year. You know, helped David Reagan. He, David Reagan had his best year with Drew Blickensturfer, no doubt about it. And I think that was Drew's best job as a crew chief, but that was only a year last, lasting before UPS got up and left. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if this does anything. I think... I always say overreaction is the first sign of dysfunction, and I think this was a major overreaction uh, to a, to a problem that I, I think was out of Trent Owens' hands. I think it was more. I think they made a good move a couple of weeks ago where they kind of got rid of the, the general manager and said, "Let's kind of regroup here." But firing Trent Owens just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Well, part of it we don't know the behind the scenes thing. It might be a. Trent Owens didn't get along with Philippe Lopez's way of thinking of how they think they should do the organization and different things like that. True. So it might have been a behind-the-scenes, not car-related. It might be a we're changing the organizational thing. Trent Owens brought um, – I mean, yeah, Trent Owens is brought in by uh, Sammy Johns. So, And Sammy Johns has been a holdover from the Evernham organization. So – the new way of thinking, maybe they need to just totally reboot the whole system. That's what you're looking at. I mean, there's so much that could be better at Richard Petty Motorsports. Part of it is who's really running the show. I mean, Richard Petty's up there in his 80s. Nobody really, I mean, he's the figurehead, but I don't think he's in there running the thing. They need somebody. They haven't had it since Robbie Loomis was there, where they were actually somewhat competitive, and Robbie was the uh, director of competition. We'll see where they go from here, but I think it it was an overreaction move. I don't know if it was Trent Owens not getting along with Philippe Lopez or Philippe Lopez saying, I want a clean house, and let's see how Drew does with these ten races to give us a gauge for what to do next year. Yeah, and we're going to lose our live audience here in about 20 seconds if you want to hear the rest of the show. 
uh, please go to Talking in Circles at Facebook or Talking in Circles on Twitter. We'll have the full show for you in its entirety when it's complete. But I, I agree with that. I think, you know, it's maybe they didn't get along with Sammy Johns, uh, but or maybe he did get along with Sammy Johns, and maybe there's a different organization philosophy. But I don't think this Richard Petty Motorsports team has been the same, and call me crazy, since Todd Parrott's left. I think Todd Parrott was a tremendous He's a tremendous mind in the garage area, and I know he made a huge, huge mistake a couple of years ago when he had that, when he failed the drug test and kind of had to revamp his career. Now he's at RCR in the Extended Series program, but I don't think he's ever they've ever recovered from Todd Parrott's loss. Um, and I think they're kind of looking for that guy who could sort of be the next Todd Parrott. And maybe they see that in Drew Blakenstorfer, where if he does good here in these last ten, he can be the sort of the guy, the general manager to lead this team. Uh, in the right direction and it'll promote him to general manager. Who knows? But um, I think that's where this biggest problems come down, where they haven't been the same since Todd Hurts gone. And that's my personal opinion. And I know he was gone after the 2014 season, but you can argue that a lot of his, before the 2014 season, you can argue a lot of his thoughts and a lot of his, uh, you know, uh, hard work went into those 2014 cars, those 2014 setups. And that's could have been why they had a lot of success that year. Uh, so so one, thing, the one thing I was looking at whenever we were talking about it before the show, um, what about the chances of Scott Zipidelli getting his first shot at the cup level as a crew chief? He did well in Xfinity. He's doing great with the 11 Red Horse truck, even though it's on its fourth different driver this year, because Matt Tiff's going to be back in it again this weekend. But Scott Zipidelli has the genes, his brother's, his brother was a heck of a crew chief. He's paid his dues in the Xfinity Series. I wonder if someone like Scott Zipidelli gets his shot with Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, we t- we talk about the crew chief bench sitting over there at Hendrick of Kenny Francis, of Darian Grubb, of um, Lance McGrew that are still sitting there over at Hendrick Motorsports with Cup crew chief experience. But I'd rather, I mean, if I'm them, I stay in the engineering shop at Hendrick because you have a better chance to win as an engineer over there behind the scenes than you do at Petty Motorsports. I just don't know how Richard Petty Motorsports will get a quality guy who's got the experience unless they bring somebody up from the truck or Xfinity level and give them their first shot. And I think Scott Cipadelli would be a good case of somebody who could do it. And it'd be interesting to see where they go with that. I don't think Scott Zipidelli is a horrible hire, but the fact that they can hire somebody maybe outside the organization who worked with another organization like Joe Gibbs Racing, like um, Roush Fenway, like Hendrick Motorsports, like Team Penske, who might not get that shot, and they go out in that organization and bring them up and kind of get their sort of quote-unquote secrets from that organiz- those organizations uh, and help them run a little bit better, that should be very interesting to see. I think... Uh, We'll see where they go, and, and Drew Blickensterfer could be the guy, you know, at the end of the day, absolutely. Um, well, the one, the other thing I want to see is next year with Stuart Haas Racing going to Ford. How much do the Ford groups share as a group? I know Penske has their alliance with the Wood Brothers. Uh, Richard Petty Motorsports has a somewhat alliance with Roush Fenway. And Stuart Haas is coming in, and it doesn't seem like they're going to have much of an alliance with anybody, it seems. So does Richard Petty Motorsports go to Tony and say, hey, uh, can we get off your notes instead of Roush Fenway's? Because you know with Kevin Harvick coming in, with 
Kurt Busch coming in. You've got two experienced cup champions. And it was like when Penske went from Dodge to Ford, they didn't lose much that first year. I don't think Stuart Haas is going to lose much, especially with Rex Stump running the chassis shop. I think Petty may say, okay, Jack, we've had a great relationship for a long time. We really appreciate it. Let's go get our notes and stuff since we're starting to build, our, put our own bodies on and everything. Let's start working with Stuart Haas or let's start working with Penske and find a way to get better because having the partnership with Roush Fenway is not doing Richard Petty Motorsports any good.